Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched On the Basis of Sex, directed by Mimi Leder and released in 2018. The plot of the movie goes something like this. A young Ruth Bader Ginsburg struggles with the male-dominated legal profession. Okay, so as we normally do, we're going to do a little spoiler-free section before we get started on the main review of the movie, just to let you guys know whether or not you should see On the Basis of Sex. Melissa, should people see On the Basis of Sex? Um, well, I kind of liked it. it. It's got some problems. It is a bit long, maybe a bit boring, but I had a lot of fun and, and uh, Felicity Jones is very engaging. Army Hammer is dreamy, but I, I'm probably the target audience for this kind of film. I think I am too. I think it's really got a big pacing problem. Mm. Um, there's a lot of stuff in it that's really interesting and really cool and it's got a lot of talented performers and all yeah. that sort of stuff, but it doesn't just come quite come together and I think a lot of that is in the pacing. There's a little mm. bit – occasionally it also veers too much into melodramatic for me, but um, yeah, I think the biggest problem is – like because we sort of start out with her young, which is what a lot of the advertising has been around mm. – and then we skip ahead so far, so quickly, that I was like, wait, what about all the rest of the stuff that has made her into the person that she is now? And then we just basically focus on one thing yeah, for mean, the rest of the movie, which is... Yeah. It's pretty classical biopic to focus on one, you know, incident. And in her, ca- yeah. in her case, it's a case. But yeah, there isn't a lot, like, once that case is done... All we get is a lot of stuff over the end titles while we were all busy, like, marvelling at how long Army Hammer's arms are. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of appreciate that approach to things because it is sort of, you know, use one case to demonstrate the whole life. But it is very hard to kind of ground yourself in it when there's, yeah, like you say, a pacing problem. Like, sometimes it's just going really slow. Yeah. And then other times you're like, wait, what, we've jumped 10 years? Yeah. And for me, it's it's sort of a pick a lane. Like pick one, don't you can't just go a little introduction of her, you know, younger and then skip ahead a couple of years and do more and skip ahead a couple of years and, more, and do more and then skipping suddenly 10 years and just staying there for the rest of the movie. Because there were also some interesting like jumps that happen and like in like their, their lives, like how she goes at the start from, you know, trying to be like mother and housewife and her and her and I keep saying Army Hammer, her and Marty work out their equal relationship. But basically we just jump from them in the 50s, still haven't figured this out, to them in the 70s and they're a really good team with a really egalitarian marriage as well. Like there's a whole lot of stuff that kind of I want a bit more story to how we got there. Exactly, yeah, and that's the thing. If we hadn't seen any of the beginning stuff, we wouldn't worry about it. Mm. So, like, maybe put that in flashback or do it differently. The way that it's structured is is it it doesn't make sense. There, yeah, exactly. There is no. um, Well, often these things will start, you know, with a big moment and then flash back to the the Harvard stuff. But this Mm. just starts with her going to Harvard. Exactly. So you think it's going to be structured differently. Yeah. So it doesn't – so you're, I think part of the reason that it feels boring later is you keep waiting for it to jump ahead again or mm. something, you know. It, it, you're never really sure what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I and definitely – And then it kind of just ends and you're like, oh, that was it. Yeah, and I, I definitely kept thinking, oh, wait, the daughter's still only 15 because I'm like, oh, well, I suppose they've got a fairly famous actress to play her, so we're going to stay with her for a bit. But I did genuinely was like, oh, we're going to skip ahead another five years. Right, or, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. So now that we've probably spoiled a bit in that, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, 
I think it's it's worth seeing on TV later. Mm. I don't know that it's worth going to see in at the cinema. Like yeah. it's not a particularly cinematic experience. It's something that you could enjoy just as much on Netflix in six months. Mm. Yes. Um, so that's my recommendation, unfortunately, because I, li- I would like movies like this to make money at the box office. Yes. But, you know, they still have to be good. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed it, but I think it's very much if it's your kind of thing rather than like, yes, everyone should see this. This definitely does something new and different. Yeah, that's part of the problem as well is that it doesn't do something new and different. And they have the the building blocks to be able to. Like yeah. there's there's a lot of talent involved here and mm. I'm not sure what exactly it was that went wrong. Yeah, and, um, and a lot of cool like swapped gender roles that you can play with the sort of great man movie tropes in an interesting way that don't quite do it as well as I would like them to. Yeah, but- I do have a few ideas of what might have gone wrong, but I think probably we can talk about it later. Oh, yeah. So, um, but, well, if we want, we can start talking spoilers. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't seen On the Basis of Sex and you plan to, pause the podcast now and come back when you have. Yeah. Um, I've never been more jealous of a woman in a movie, I think, than I was of Felicity Jones in this movie, which is largely to do with how gorgeous Army Hammer was in this movie. Like, just everybody getting to hug him. I was like, oh, I'm so jealous of that person now for getting to hug Army Hammer. I, are you not he's also jealous so because he's playing, like, the most amazing husband who is, like, really her equal intellectually and steps up at home and recognizes that, like, she is more talented than him in certain areas? Yeah, like just I just that was like he could have been played by anyone. Like he's dreamy and good looking. I agree, but also like those characteristics. Well, probably not anyone. That's, anyone else wouldn't have been as dreamy. But the the thing is also that I mean, if you put an actor who's not Army Hammer into that role, could he have done it as well, or would he come off as being condescending or like? You know, I feel like a lot of it is what he gave to the role rather than just that being the person that he's playing. It was good casting yeah. as on top of – and a good performance on top of Marty being yeah. really dreamy. I just, I I just wasn't – when I when you said I'm jealous of her, I it, my first thought wasn't because he's so hot. It's because he's so amazing as a character. But that that's I think that's just we coming at it from different angles. Yeah. I think – well, I think the thing is uh, – him being amazing as a character makes him hotter. Ah, yeah. Well, yes, that is kind of accurate. So he's more attractive because he's so amazing. You know, like yeah, the yeah. way he looks at her in that in that scene at the end is one of the reasons that I'm so jealous of her in that movie. But he does that because he's so, a great, mm. you know, it, it's, it's all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It all leads into itself. Yeah, I was just – I've just been looking through Mimi Leder's, um filmography – because I remember seeing her name a bit in the 90s and then kind of nothing yeah. for a while, and that seems to be the more or less the case. Um, she also used to do a lot more stuff that was a bit more action-y yeah. up until Pay It Forward. She made Deep Impact, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, Deep Impact and The Peacemaker, which I've been told is not a good movie, but I remember enjoying when I was Yeah, young. I watched it, but I watched it when it came out, so I was a kid. And I like Deep Impact too, but like, mm. it's interesting that she's making this sort of biographical drama now rather than the sort of more action-y stuff that or she this used to is, make. is the work that, yeah, she's getting. Yeah. Yes, that's what I um, That's what I mean, sort of. Um, yeah, because, I mean, a lot of a lot of things have gone backwards since the 90s. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, because uh, she seems to have worked a lot in television in between 
like her 90s work and now yes a lot which Um, is interesting it is interesting that's Mm. sort of what i was looking at yeah she's just definitely seemed to have gone backwards but also i don't remember a lot of the problems that i had with this being problems in other movies that i've seen but it's been a while so Mm. i don't know um one of the problems i one of the other problems i noticed with this movie is there's all these uh this introduction of characters that then doesn't fully um they don't fully develop characters or introduce them properly mm. a lot of the time. Like there's a professor that comes to her house at one point and she's like, this is my old university professor. We've never met this guy. Right. Ever. And we saw her at university and I was like, why don't we meet this but guy when she's at university? Exactly. Because we meet, um, we meet Stephen Root and Sam Waterston and they come back. And also in that same scene where the, the old Jewish professor comes in, we also meet the woman who's argued Brown versus the Board of Education sits on that that panel of uh, moot judges, right? Oh, does she? Yeah, she talks about how she argued Brown. Oh. Or, or sorry, worked on Brown. She yeah, didn't argue with right. Thurgood Marshall, argued Brown. But we never meet her before either. I know who and Thurgood like, Marshall is. Well, this is one of the only or very few black characters who actually gets a speaking part and a reasonable one. Like she has um, students, but yeah. Yeah. Like, we just never met this woman before, and here she is. Yeah. The two of the people in that scene are basically only in that scene. Yeah. And you're like, why? Why are these people only in this one section of the movie? And then they also introduce people, like, kids from her class, Mm. uh, or students from her class, and then they're out of the movie for 20 minutes, and then they show up again. Yeah. You know? There's not a lot of continuity with characters. And I found that with um, Jack Rayner's character as well. Um the, the guy who, Bozarth, the guy who argues the case at the oh, end. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's not introduced until very late in the game. Uh-huh, very and then, late. even though he's introduced very late in the game, we still go away from him for ages. Mm. And yet also when the movie moves away from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it mm. does so for a long time to follow him. And you're yeah. like, well, now I'm bored because I don't know what's going on with her. Mm. Like there's there's these real balancing issues. Mm. In, in terms of really making it compelling and like bringing in all the characters and making them all compelling. And he's a great actor. I've noted him in this as a standout in a few movies before. He was the, um, I think, Macduff in Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was great in this movie called Sing Street. He was the best thing in that movie. Mm. Um, he's also not uh, American and was was definitely working with an unwieldy accent in this movie. It was something that didn't quite fit him, but he is an actor that I notice. Hmm. So I actually saw his name at the beginning of the movie and was going, "When is he coming in?" And he didn't oh, come right. in for ages. Yeah, I didn't know him, but also like when he did come in, it was kind of abrupt. Yeah, I do wonder. Like this movie is written is there's one screenwriter credited, Daniel Stiepelman, and he's um Ruth Bader Ginsburg's nephew. So I do wonder if this could have – and he's not a, not a super experienced screenwriter. He's got a couple of credits other than this. And I do wonder if a bit of polish on that – on the story, a bit of tightening mm. up would really have helped you because I think like if Mimi later isn't involved in the screenwriting, then she's sort of more like a for hire director on this and yeah. that, that sort of makes sense on that front. But, yeah, it's interesting the way that works because there, there are people who just come in and out like – Obviously, Ruth and Marty are amazing, and I love spending time with them. But I kind of need the antagonists to be antagonistic, and the other supporters to be obvious. Because the thing is, especially where we don't meet this favorite professor, because all we ever see of her at law school is her having a hard time of it. Yeah, there's like 
one time when Stephen Root's character gives her the benefit of the doubt. But there's no one who actively supports her. But until this guy comes in and suddenly, oh, yeah, I had this booster all my all all along who was helpful to me at law school. Well, see, I was wondering if maybe he was a professor at Columbia Law, which we skipped. Yeah, which we don't see. And that would make some sense. But then surely if she had such a terrible experience at Harvard and then went to Columbia and things went better, why not show that bit? And also, especially since we spent, we spent all this time on law school. Right. And... Um, that probably would have been helpful in some other things as well because there's this great line that she has when she goes back to see Sam Waterston and Stephen Root where um, where Sam Waterston is like, I'm glad to see that the Harvard education is uh, – you, you found a good use to your Harvard yeah. education. And she says, actually, what I'm doing at the moment, I learned at Columbia. So show us her learning that at Columbia. Yeah. And then you can introduce this cool professor if he was at Columbia. Mm. It doesn't make sense to completely skip that part of her life. Yeah. And then it's sort of like it, it skips like a record, you know. It's her first day at, at Harvard and then it's two years later and then it's another two years later and then it's ten years later and then that's where we settle for a while but we don't know that we're going to be settling there for a while so we keep waiting for the next skip to a couple years later. Mm. So it really unsettles you yeah, to not have that lead in properly. It, it's really tough to kind of – follow sometimes Mm. and understand how these people fit in with her and how and also how she was formed like her knowledge on gender discrimination of gender discrimination in law and her decision to teach that class is also never really covered no like she just suddenly is teaching that class and i was like oh they probably just gave it to her because she's the woman who's working yeah and we and we skip 10 years later and because she gets the job because like a a black man leaves and and they just figure they'll replace him with a woman like there is no no discussion of that career and how that might have formed her and the thing is like initially going to be a professor is supposed to be her it's like it's sort of a bit of a her taking a back seat. She can't get a job in a firm, so she's doing the second best thing, which is going to teach. But she clearly gets some value out of it because she stays teaching. For 10 years. Yeah, she's there for 11 years. And when she does teach the class, the students are engaged. She's very engaged with the material. like, Or she couldn't get out of it or she decided mm. not to get out of it. Like there's no explanation of these things. Yeah. I really – want to understand how she became how she was formed as a person to become the person that she is at the end of the movie Mm. and that's what i feel is really missing is we don't get to see that journey for her she is you know there's a couple of little bits Mm -hmm. that make her turn around and decide oh i'm going to try but not her knowledge and her understanding of this particular type of law not her kind of um like, it's obvious why she's interested in this kind of law, but we never get to see her actually study it and, and choose it. Mm, especially because of that early stuff, the Harvard stuff, is all about how hard she works mm. and how across everything she is. And she's like, she really knows her stuff. And, she sh- and she's never changed from that. She really knows her brief when she goes to do that argument at the end. But we don't sort of see her move off into that direction. Yeah. As for the argument at the end, I think I found it the most frustrating part of the whole movie. That scene was so frustrating to me for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that everything is played for such high dramatic stakes instead of having a little bit more subtlety in it 
that I just became very frustrated with it hmm. because it's it it just sort of went into this hyper reality instead of being real like the most of the rest of the movie was. Yeah. And that like really took me out of it right at the end. You know, like the rest of the movie was so kind of sometimes it was a little too on the nose. I've got a few notes about some of the lines and stuff, but it still felt like a real family, um, real classroom, all mm. of that sort of stuff. And then at the end, you get into this like weird, um, melodramatic, very special episode of Law and Order. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it felt like. Like the, the, the amount of time, the length of time that she just waits for before stuttering something out is like, it's so frustrating. Yeah. You know, you just like, just do it already. We don't need this long of not doing it already. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. And all of that, just so that she could say one little speech at the end. Yeah. And then the movie ends. Yeah. And you don't get to see her do more of that. And build her reputation. Because the, the other thing is we don't, like, we're not seeing how, how she's formed. We don't see her build the reputation that gets her onto the Supreme Court. Mm. Like, you just see the beginning of it. Yeah. And then we cut to the real Ruth walking up the stairs. I did like That, that was cut. kind of sweet. Uh, well, you, sorry, we cut to Felicity Jones walking up the stairs of the Supreme Court and then the real Ruth doing it in the same outfit, very yeah. close to. And, like, that, yeah, we, we kind of need a bit more than that. And yeah. I, I do think there's a factor in here, the fact that this was written by her family and was heavily involved. And they're like, they know all this stuff, but we don't. Yeah, We're the audience and we don't know this stuff. Like, I don't know when I first heard of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, maybe like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Like, to me, she's just always been on the Supreme Court. I don't know the story. I don't know the details of these cases. I don't know how she built a reputation and got on there. So why, why tell me that? And do it not in like voiceover and then text. Oh, God, text. All, just all the – and then she did this and then she did this. Although my favorite page of text was like where the family went and it's like, you know, Marty did this and um, Ruth did this and Jane became a lawyer and then James became a musician. And yeah. I was like, black sheep. <laughs> Well, no, but he became a classical musician, and I don't know if you noticed, but they were super into opera. But she's very into, she still is very into that stuff. I don't know if you noticed, but they played opera every time she was at her house, and there were two separate opera posters. They had a Labo M poster in the first Aida place in and, the yeah. yeah in the house in New York. Yeah, I saw that. I was noticing so much about set decoration and like the backgrounds of this movie and the costumes yeah. and things when I really should have been paying attention to the story, which I think probably tells you something. Was the I did the same thing. So I've got a note here that says uh, Ruth arrives in matte painting, Colorado. I, I wrote the same <laughs> thing about a, um, not not that, uh, although I, I saw you noting that and I was like, oh, my God, it's the most Colorado-iest Colorado <laughs> that ever Coloradoed. Um, um, but, but I also – In I, their apartment. In in their house, yeah, the there's house a map as well. Painting. There's a map painting. It was really obvious uh, behind the kitchen table. But I um I also have very detailed notes about the costumes. I do think the costumes were excellent in this movie. Like they were very well done. But I spent a lot of time noticing them and her her fondness for brooches. I don't know if you noticed her fondness for brooches, but that I was did. all over the place. The movie keeps bringing your attention to her fondness for brooches as well. When uh -huh. like, because there's a guy that looks at her boobs at one point and she's got this brooch like right on yep. her boob, and you're like, okay. Um, and also, um, you mentioned that the costumes were really good, and I was like, yeah, Army Hammer's red t-shirt was great. I haven't known yep. about Army Hammer in a red t-shirt, so. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. It was easy for and me to the get thing distracted is, And that's the thing. We, we both kept noticing little details. Like mm. when uh, she gets the job at Rutgers, she's got a bottle of champagne for them to celebrate with and Army Hammer makes sure Jane has a little sippy oh, cup and they do a toast so with the baby cute. and it is freaking adorable because Army Hammer is the best dad. Yeah. But like – I spent a lot of time noticing little details like that. Mm. There's, there's things also I noticed about things like anytime there was a close-up on Kaylee Spaney's face. Oh, yeah. And I could see the acting. Not a big fan of her. I know she's young and she might improve later. But, like, the, there were times when it was, cl- like, close-ups on her face and I could see her thinking, <laughs> and now I need to look sad and now I need to look angry, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, that that was going across her face as she was doing it. Mm. That was like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. She, I did like her better in this than some of the other things I've seen her in. But yeah. also that's she's playing a good character. Yeah. It's really interesting as well, the dynamic between Ruth and Jane, because Jane is often right, but also really cruel mm. and doesn't see things from Ruth's perspective. And then Ruth is often wrong. Yeah. But really um like dogmatic not just dogmatic yeah she's very dogmatic but i'm I'm looking for more like self-righteous i think Mm. is really the and very self and very i'm the mother so you don't know anything yeah yeah so it's interesting it's quite an interesting dynamic Mm. um and it's explored really well so i think that might be that i liked the character better yeah it is it is good i mean i just she's very well used like the whole um you know you gave birth to a child who's just like you kind of thing Kind of. I don't know that she's just like her. I think there's enough sort of difference between them that it's interesting. Yeah. And and, and the movie makes a very big point of showing that where they clash is where they're similar. Mm. Um, but it also allows kind of a more subtle look at, like, you know, mother-daughter dynamics mm. because this is a family where dad does a lot of the emotional heavy lifting and the emotional labor of parenting. Like, they they obviously very – equal as parents but Ruth seems to struggle in the way that a lot of dads struggle with connecting with their kids and so the mother-daughter relationship is quite different from what you often see in movies like this Mm. well it reminded me a little bit of Ladybird yeah yeah I have three separate notes on cooking in this movie which go she can't cook he could cook and then later he on, does look cook. at him cooking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, we skip that transition. But this, but. yeah, that's what I was. I, I said that in the spoiler-free section, which I probably shouldn't have. But yeah, I I want to know where how they did that because there's a scene where she's cooked something and it's clearly terrible, and she still thinks that she has to cook. That that's when they're at Harvard and they're you know very young and they've got a baby and all this kind of stuff. And then we cut to 1970 and he's chopping celery like a chef. Right. When do when we do we have that? that conversation? Like. There, there's, there was undoubtedly some kind of transition that happened where he was just like, you know what, you're pretty busy with this. You're clearly not very good at it. I think I know what I'm doing here. I'm going to cook for the family. That's that's a job I mean. Like, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff in their marriage that goes on where they negotiate an equal arrangement that is so different from what was the norm at the time. Like, that's interesting to me, right? Yeah, exactly. That's super interesting because these are people who are the same – roughly the same age as our grandparents, right? Mm. And, like, I don't know that many of that generation had marriages like that. So th- this is interesting to us. Yeah. And she's been, she was able to pursue her career the way she was because she had a good husband. Yes. There is something that's a bit frustrating to me that this movie does more times than I think it should, 
which is where he gives her the idea for something or saves her from something. And I know it's trying to sort of paint him as like the supportive husband, but I'm like, yeah, but can you give her the impetus to do these things? The credit, yeah. Yeah, give her the credit because um, he gives her the idea to even go after this this tax mm-hmm. law case. And it's sort of implied that like everything that – all the ideas that she had, he had first and he just points her in the direction of it, yeah. which is frustrating as hell. And also later on he when he steps in and is like, these are the ways that you talk in court kind of a thing. Stuff like that is yeah. very frustrating. Um Somebody that I did think was really great in this movie was Justin Theroux, who I'm not always a huge fan of. Um, He was right for that part. He was right for that part, but also, like, it's such an interesting part. Mm. And it's an interesting part that I think is not always examined from the point of view of women, Mm. in that he's this kind of brash guy who holds a lot of – who – Holds a lot of sexist views as part of his society, but doesn't always realize it Mm. and doesn't always, um, he's not an encouraging person. Yeah. But he is still somebody who has value Mm. in their circle, which is really interesting to me, the way that they explored that character. Yeah. And you say, yeah, not often seen from the perspective of women because it's often, and one of the problems with things like Green Book is that you, you get the white man perspective of things, this is actually taking that perspective and saying this. it was important that this person was here. They did do some good things, but there's it's a complicated thing. And, I mean, it, and it also talks about how you can't be ideologically perfect. Nobody's circle of friends and acquaintances is ever going to be. You need allies and friends and they are going to be different from you and they're mm. not going to be perfect, but they are going to be useful or helpful or part of your story you know yeah exactly and and that was really interesting to me that I I would have liked to have seen her kind of build that circle of people and then keep them around a little Mm. more than just him yeah you know Kathy Bates as well has this great these great two scenes Mm. and then we don't see her again yeah like clearly they didn't get you know Kathy Bates for very long in this movie, but we could have used her yeah, and, a little more. And I think the thing that both of those two stuck out is because they were actually really properly introduced to us. Mm. Like they had, they both had a very big entrance and they were both like, we got to know these people. We could very clearly see in the time that we had with them who they were and how they operated in the world and like why they were important. And they were properly introduced and they came back at various points when they needed to. Yeah. And we were talking also before about this being from her perspective and it really, um, what I do like that Mimi Leder did in this movie is shot a lot of it at Ruth's level. Oh, I was going to um, yeah. So to keep her, keep us in her perspective, we have shots where Army's hammer, Army Hammer's whole shoulders and head are cut off because we're staying in Jane's perspective and not pulling out for him. Mm. Um, the the shots of her walking into the school really establish that because it's all these sea of men and then we start to z- hone in on her yeah. and then we have like shots that are not at their level and then she comes through and because she, she's shorter and sort of parts the sea and then goes off in her direction, you know. Yeah. Um, so it really – the. I really think in terms of the direction, the camera work is actually really, really good Mm. Um, and the camera placement and the way that the movie does keep us very much in Ruth's perspective for the film. Mm. This is something we've talked about 
a little bit in terms of cinematography being racist. Cinematography mm. is also quite sexist mm. and you get so used to seeing things a certain way. Like that scene uh, very early on in their bedroom where you can't see Army Hammer's head and like she snuggled up to his chest, it just felt revolutionary because you never see that. You would never cut the handsome movie star's head out of the shot like that, but they did because mm. that's her perspective. It was, yeah, it, it felt refreshing. Yeah, and it, but it also made a point in a subtle way. Mm. And then so the movie doesn't do this in some places, but a lot of the time it does kind of make a point without having to like direct our attention to it constantly, mm. rather just showing us that using the, the cinematography and the, um, the film techniques, which I really appreciated. Yeah. No, that was um, good. There is, however, a note that I also wrote that says men are also harmed by this stereotype, which is something that Army Hammer says. We have to keep in mind that men are also harmed by these sexist stereotypes. And yeah. I'm like, okay, buddy. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you know, like that was so on the nose and yeah. such a, like they were, it was a montage. Yeah. It's in the middle of a montage. And then that's the line that sort of pops out of this montage. And you're like, oh yeah, we get it. The patriarchy is bad for men too. Yeah. We're on top of it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of lines that think they're very important. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't even write them all down, but like a court should not not be influenced by the weather of the day, but the climate of the era. And um, there's one about uh, change minds first, then change the law, and like the whole conflict between Ruth and her daughter about you know change the culture and then change the law versus change the law then change the culture. Um, which is obviously like not a not going to be resolved by this movie, but a lot of those lines were. Um, are you having trouble with your headphones? Yeah, cool. I yeah. literally pulled a Ruth Bader Ginsburg just then from the movie. Oh yeah, did something things. clumsy. Yeah, yeah. Because that's how you make women approachable and relatable. You make them clumsy. Oh, I know. I mean, some of that was, I think, was trying to make a point, like her having to adjust the microphone after talking after Marty talks because she's so much shorter than him and, and, you know, the world isn't made for her. Mm. But I, it was overdone. Yeah. Yeah. There's also something in this movie that I really noticed is the transitions between scenes <laughs> where, like, there'll be a comment about something in the scene before and then you're immediately shown it in the next scene. Mm. Um, the one that I noticed the most was something about women being at home in the kitchen and then we cut to Army Hammer cutting celery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff. But it happens quite often. That's a little bit, it's a little bit on the nose, but it's not so much that it's like terrible. It's just kind of cute. Yeah. And there are other bits as well that like, I don't know if the film knew what it knew that it was doing this or if it was extremely conscious of it and it did it anyway. But the way sort of side characters like secretaries and waiters are in the movie. So very early on, she goes to a Harvard party where like she feels out of place, but you also notice that the only black people in the room are serving drinks. I'm sure that was on purpose. I think it was. And then it also happens with the secretaries. Mm. Like she has all female secretaries. Women are still the majority of the secretaries in the law. And she dictates as well, like, like Marty does with her and like he's used to doing like lawyers still do. She dict- She's used to dictating to a secretary. Like it's it just – it was an interesting thing that it didn't that, – that was, again, as more of a subtle point. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure the reason that Marty does that with her is because he He's has – sick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's entirely fair. No, um, I wasn't. I was just like, 
No, I thought it was useful though because lawyers do that and like they yeah. still do that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is there's nothing particularly wrong with that. No, but it's the last profession where people don't do their own typing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think the problem is the uh, gender and power differentials yeah. that yeah. happen. Like, you know, if somebody is a really good secretary and enjoys doing it, then absolutely that's yeah. what they should do. And and they are being incredibly helpful to the law profession and being really, you know, yeah. and, and really and, useful. Yeah, no, I, and, and then, of course, there's a um, with Justin through where uh, his secretary brings in a cup of coffee for Ruth. Yeah. So that, that stuff, because the camera does draw your attention to it, but not in a like, look at this person yeah. doing this thing way. I'm sure it was all on yeah. purpose. Yeah, and there's another one which I'm, I feel almost certain was on purpose was um, Justin Theroux coming into her classroom and a black woman is talking and he interrupts her. Yes, very rudely coming into class and interrupting yeah. her. Yeah, yeah I'm, I think that was all on purpose too. Um, and I think it's like it, it is the movie showing us all the ways in which these things are uh, interconnected and, and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. these um You've got what's the word? Intersectionality. Yeah, intersectionality. With you know, a black woman is still not as successful as the white woman. He says at one point, "I'd still rather be a white woman than a black man in America." Mm. A lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, and they they kind of yeah. But he also doesn't know what it's like to be. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't um, know what it's like to be either of those things. No, he doesn't know what it's like to be either of those things. But I think also it's pointing out that he connects more easily with the black man than mm. he does with a woman, and he fights against supporting women's rights for a long time. Mm. I would also like to note that the movie is inspired by and not based on a true story, according to the opening. Yeah, I noticed that. And so that may not be entirely accurate to who that person was, and a lot of these things might not be because otherwise it would be based on a true sh- story, surely. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of these people had lines this um memorable put into or their prescient. mouths yeah yeah the uh there's one about but wages would go down and divorce would go up and i was like um <laughs> the lines it got so boring when it went went away from her for a long time and uh, it was all those men just sitting around pontificating about ooh. how terrible everything was going to be yeah and i was just like oh my god and when they went to the def- secretary uh, the defense department and it was like, look, computers, what a terrible new invention. And the women were running the computers mm. and very pointedly so. It did make me immediately think of hidden, hidden figures. figures. Yeah. But like, you know, that that stuff was boring. Mm. Like when the movie was not about um, – I, f- I found the movie most interesting when it was about her family and yeah. about the dynamics there and about that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and and her know, work and how she navigates the world. Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting the way that she has all that nervousness in court and everything like that, and the way that she doesn't know how to argue something, and she doesn't like all that stuff that the judges were saying to her, and she just sort of goes uh, uh, that sort of stuff. I was like, I don't know how in character this is based yeah. on everything else that's happened in this movie. I mean, they're, well, they're trying to tell the story of she's been a professor for 10 years and has been out of the courtroom for that time and has therefore lost a bit of her, some of the, like, de-skilled in that stuff because she doesn't yeah. do it every day. But, yeah, she's also someone who is shown to be always over-prepared for everything. And opinionated. And, yes, and very good at arguing. So you would think that she would have spent a lot of time preparing so that, you know, even if she had missed out on all the experience, she was still getting practice. But, yeah. I, I just feel like it – It I was to up it was, the drama of the, yes. sta- of the thing. 
Um, and I don't know if it was true or not, but I feel like because we saw that moot court earlier, I felt like that should have been more like what it was like for her in court. Yeah. That she was getting cut off and she was getting interrupted and she was making arguments that didn't have anything to do with the case mm. and not redirecting things to the case and stuff yeah. rather than just sit, sitting there and fumbling and not saying yeah, anything. Because, I mean, it's designed to, to create more dramatic tension, but the problem is it just makes it look weird because she goes from being this stumbling, bumbling person to being the scintillating speech at the end that makes all of these cranky old white guys start smiling benevolently down on her. Yeah. I've noted that um, at one point Mel Wolf tells her she's a bitter, unlikable shoot, coming across as a bitter, unlikable shoot. Yeah, shoot, like she literally smile. uses those words. Yeah. And she should smile. Well, sorry, I cut you off there. Um, yeah. I don't know that I have that many more notes. No, I, I've really done everything I've made notes of. I did um, just quickly, what I said before, I really like the costumes in this, and I'm kind of sad this isn't up for a Best Costume Oscar because – it um, very clearly shows her through the different eras. Like it shows her in the 50s and it shows her in the 70s and it shows her how she dresses as a teacher and how she dresses for law school and as a lawyer and stuff. And you see the different eras of fashion, but they also kind of are both Ruth appropriate and age appropriate. Like mm. you see her and Jane in 70s fashions, but Jane is dressed like a 15-year-old and, and Ruth is dressed like a you know, 35-year-old or whatever she was. It's very cleverly done and they use some like – famous bits of design in there as well like there's a the, there's a sex scene that i swear is just for to show the 1950s underwear that she was wearing all day but also she wears a dress in the 70s like you see the polyester come in and she wears a dress in the 70s that i'm sure is diane von furstenberg who's a very famous american designer of that era okay so i thought i just thought the costumes were very well and cleverly done and then there's also bits not costume but it's more makeup um kathy bates's intro is her putting on lipstick without a mirror. Mm. And I'm like, that is a power move. Yeah. So there's a couple more notes that I think are worth commenting on. Um, twice my notes auto-corrected a certain word to duck or ducking. Uh, and they were both in relation to what she was, uh, the way she was treating Sam Waterston, which I think is really funny. Um, so one of them, it says ducking with the Dean when she was in that dinner with all nine of the women yeah. who were, were attending Harvard. School. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, why do you want to be a lawyer? That's not a good enough answer. And she goes, I wanted to be a lawyer so I could serve my husband. <laughs> and then goes home and whines about it. <laughs> Complains about it to, oh, to, Marty. Um, to Marty, which I thought was great. And I then know. that, um, you know, that I learned this at Columbia. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was also ducking with him, yeah. <laughs> according to my phone. Um, yeah. And the other note that I had was that scene in the hospital, mm. um, was a, which was a really lovely scene, was the moment when I first wrote that the investment that they put into um, hiring Army Hammer for this movie was a really good investment. Oh, it was worth um, every penny. watching him, like, break down and her support him and stuff in a scene that you very rarely see yeah. um, was really great. And it's so nicely done and so nicely shot and everything. Um, and so I really liked that. Yeah, because you don't often see men break down like that. But he's just been told he's got a 5% chance of surviving. True. Yeah, I know. Like it's just – it's so re- – a lot of it is just so refreshing. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about before. Army Hammer is really good. He uses his white male wealthy man privilege to like – be in movies where he's not the main focus and he's the supporting 
character mm. to someone else and it's often as a supporting role to a woman or a gay man or really he uses his power for good he's not only a dreamboat he's like a dreamboat who knows what he has to offer and how to use that best yes he's the woke woman's dr- white male dreamboat um yeah. <laughs> but yes. um the other thing uh with that is um every so i mean i follow imdb on facebook and every so often i'll you know click on a link and then come across comments but there were these comments on him that's like why does hollywood keep trying to make him happen i've never seen him in anything and i was like of course you've never seen him in anything because you're not watching ask some women ask some gay men yeah exactly like you're not watching the movies that he is choosing yeah which really says something about him yeah like if you spend any time on the sort of lefty intersectional parts of the internet you will understand why people love army hammer and you will see how adored he is or if you've seen the uh, criminally underrated um, Man from Uncle film. Oh, isn't it wonderful? It's, it's, yeah, it's, that's a great movie. Yeah. And yeah. great cast and everything. So we will keep being Army Hammer stands what, as yeah. long as he keeps being a dreamboat. Um, yeah. So shall we wrap it up with some ratings? Yeah, just look at the movies that he's been in. Sorry to Bother You and Hotel mm-hmm. Mumbai yep. and yep. all this stuff yeah. that's like. He's, he's never afraid to take a back seat to uh, like a minority man or, or a person of color or a woman. And but also go, like choosing to be in movies that that focus on those things. Yeah, really interesting. He's an interesting dude mm. and very attractive, and I like him. Um, so yeah, ratings. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm gonna go with three stars. I feel like this could be a really great movie, which is why it kind of sucks that it isn't. Mm. Yeah, I'm also gonna go with three stars. Um, I personally enjoyed it quite a bit, but I also got bored in it. And spent a lot of time noticing little little details that were great, but probably I shouldn't have if I'd been more engaged with the story. Yeah, and uh, I also feel like that it shouldn't been have been one of my major takeaways that I walked out of the cinema and went, "Gosh, I really want to watch Call Me by Your Name again." <laughs> Although I did kind, of, I, it did also make me want to watch the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. So yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, so. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.